blockchains solve a very specific problem and you know that's their their big innovation but they suck at pretty much everything else hello there from bedford in the united kingdom the bitcoin mecca of the world how are you all doing how's your week going i'm having a pretty good week i've got some very cool news we've just crossed over 1 million downloads for the month of april very very cool kind of blown away don't know how we did this but it's a very cool milestone to hit so thank you to all the guests who come on my show thank you to all the listeners thank you to danny thank you to ben thank you to my sponsors thank you everyone it's very very cool anyway welcome to the what bitcoin did podcast which is brought to you by gemini the only place i am using for buying bitcoin i'm your host peter mccormack and today i've got another tech interview with shinobi but we have been joined by the savage from clubhouse mr nadav but before we get into this show where we're talking about side chains and wrap bitcoins and scaling Bitcoin, I do have a message from my show sponsors. And today we are kicking off with my exchange sponsor. We're kicking off with Gemini, the only place I'm using for buying and selling Bitcoin. But I ain't selling. I haven't sold shit through Gemini yet. I'm only buying Bitcoin. We're in a bull market. I ain't selling my Bitcoin. Are you selling your Bitcoin? Come on, what the hell are you doing? Now, I've been using the Gemini app. I've been using it for two things. I've been buying the dips. Yes, sir. Yes, I have. But I have also set up my DCA twice a month. On the 1st and the 15th, I am buying Bitcoin, and I'm doing it through Gemini. They have killed the UX. The app is amazing. If you've not played with it, definitely go and check it out. Go and download it. Also, a massive shout out to Tyler and Cameron. Thank you for supporting the show. I'm loving working with you and I'm loving working with your team. If you want to find out more, please head over to Gemini.com, which is G-E-M-I-N-I.com. Next up, we have BlockFi, the future of Bitcoin and financial services, offering a number of different products for Bitcoiners. Now, with a BlockFi interest account, you can earn yield on your Bitcoin. I've been a customer of this for now two years, letting my Bitcoin work for me. Also, with a Bitcoin-backed loan, you can now borrow Bitcoin without selling it. And if you are registered for the BlockFi Rewards Visa card, it's launching imminently, and that is where you can earn 1.5% rewards back on all card purchases. If you're interested in checking BlockFi out, I recommend you do your own research and then head over to BlockFi.com, which is B-L-O-C-K-F-I.com. And next up, we have Ledger, the world's most popular hardware wallet. Now, a hardware wallet allows you to take custody of your Bitcoin, I started doing this back in 2017, and the first wallet I bought was a Ledger Nano S, and I'm still using that device today. Ledger makes it easy for you to safely manage your Bitcoin using their Ledger Live software, which interfaces with your device. And if you are an Android phone user, you can connect that to your Nano S to manage your Bitcoin on the go. If you want to find out more, please head over to ledger.com, which is L-E-D-G-E-R.com. Okay, and on to the show today, and we're back for round four of our tech updates, and today we're looking at wrapped Bitcoin and other side chains. Are they really Bitcoin? Now, this is something I've been thinking about since my 250th show. For those that weren't around back then or didn't listen to that show, it was kind of a special episode, and I asked various people to submit a little sound clip, anything they wanted to say, and there's something Shinobi said then that stuck with me, so I'm going to implement it here. Well, I think Danny has, so have a little listen now. Purity tests over what is or isn't Bitcoin are a gigantic waste of time. You have the Lightning Network, you have Liquid, you have exchange databases, you have custodians that will mint Bitcoin back tokens on Ethereum. And all of these things are Bitcoin. They just have radically different 
security models. And really, at the end of the day, um, nothing is going to pass a purity test on that degree except main chain Bitcoin, which is never going to scale or be accessible enough. So, you know, stop having the purity battle. Um, pick the security models you're comfortable with and use them. It's all Bitcoin. Ever since then, I've wanted to make a show about this, and Shinobi and I finally got around to doing it. But I also asked Nadav Cohen to join us. Nadav is always on Clubhouse, dishing out these very polite but brutal and savage takedowns of shitcoiners. I knew I had to get him on the show, and it seemed like a great opportunity to do that and introduce him to the WBD audience, the people who don't know him. Now, this one does get a bit technical at times, especially towards the end. I definitely got lost a few times, and I probably didn't do as good a job as I normally like to to get them to break it down in an easy-to-understand way. Apologize for that. Still interesting conversation anyway, and I know you lot. You savages are going to love this. Anyway, I always get loads of feedback from these tech shows. If you want to reach out to me, you can. It's hello at whatbitcoindid.com, or just go and jump into my Telegram group. Outside of that, planning for Miami very excited about Miami. I'm going to be hosting a party. It's going to be a free party. Loads of beer, loads of whiskey. Come along, have a drink. Details coming soon. All right, on to the show. Hope you enjoy it. Shinobi, how are you, man? You well? Ah, uh, well enough. Wondering why I lost power for such a long time period that my phone died and wasn't on when the charger came back on. <laughs> <laughs> Shut up. Is this some bullshit excuse? No. Dude, if if I did something like get shit faced and just overslept, I would have sat here and said, "Hey guys, I got shit faced and I overslept." Well, we've got a guest today. For what? For the first time in our tech shows, we've got a guest. Nadav, what do you think? Do you uh, do you trust Shinobi? I do because he's definitely told me that he's gotten shit faced before uh, podcasts I've been on with him. All right, we'll, <laughs> we'll let this one slide. Nadav, welcome to the show. I've been really enjoying your super civilized and intellectual takedowns of people on Clubhouse. It's been an absolute joy to watch. Uh, I, well, actually, I think I was messaging D++ straight away. I was like, this, this dude's amazing. She's like, he's the smartest guy in the whole world. So I'm glad to get you on the show. Glad to welcome you to the listeners of what Bitcoin did. I'm looking forward to some of your smart intellectual comments today. Sorry if I'm uh, embarrassing you here. It's all right. It's very kind. I'm glad to be here. Right. So, Shinobi, the background to wanting to make this show is a couple of things. But can I can I remind you of that thing you said to me once? I don't know if you still stand by it. Yep. Go right ahead. You, you said to me, base, base layer Bitcoin, sats, liquid, wrap Bitcoin, they're all Bitcoin. But different trade-offs. Now, I'm not sure everyone would agree with that. Do you remember saying that? Do you, uh, do you stand by it? Yep, I still stand by it. I think that trying to play games like that is like a person who's playing games like only if my cash is physically in my hand is this US dollars. If it's in a bank, it's not you. Like, yes, it is. It's just in a bank and you need their permission to get it. Right. So they're all Bitcoin with different trade-offs. So it's a really interesting point because I kind of want to understand those trade-offs. Uh, I'm definitely going to push Nadav a bit on the rap Bitcoin stuff because um, I've heard some interesting takedowns on Clubhouse. And I think it's worth people understanding you know, what it means to be using a rap Bitcoin and the trade-offs and the risks they're taking. If there are any, you might love them, Nadav. Well, I've got a feeling you don't, but we'll come to that anyway. Okay, so... 
Nadav, I don't know how much you know about the background of these shows we make. Uh, me and Shinobi used to be enemies. He harassed me and abused me while I was sat on a plane in Boston for interviewing, <laughs> interviewing Peter Risen. And then since then, we, we've built this uh, beautiful friendship around uh, Bitcoin tech. And without really admitting it, he's uh, basically said I was right about everything. And uh, we now make these once a month shows. Ahem <laughs> now. <laughs> no, we make these once a month shows about uh, technical sides of Bitcoin. We go into detail. I make him explain to me like I'm a five-year-old. And if I don't understand, we go like a two-year-old. We've covered UTXOs. We've covered wallets. Uh, what was the other thing we did, Shinobi? What was the third one? Nodes and why those nodes. are important. Yeah, yeah, nodes. Yeah, forgot about those. Of course, of course, I forgot about those. But these have proved to be really <laughs> popular shows. They might not be the most downloaded, but they're the shows that get the most feedback. I get a lot of emails and DMs, people saying I love them. I think Shinobi's had a lot of people reach out to him as well, so they're really useful. But it's trying to help people understand mm-hmm. this technical stuff at, at, at a basic level. So I know you guys have done. Some I do pro- re- real quick though. I yep. I do want to just reiterate. Um, to anybody who is sending me DM requests that haven't got a response, I'm sorry. I, it's not that I hate you. It's just I have to juggle a bunch of stuff with my time. So I try to avoid that folder except occasional checks. I mean, it's, it's tough, tough being famous and smoking weed all day. I don't know how, how you fit it all in, dude. <laughs> right. Listen, to get into this, I know you guys did some planning. Um, we need to talk about why... We, so are we saying these are all layer two? Because obviously I understand that uh, um, Lightning Network's layer two and I understand that Liquid's layer two. Are we essentially saying that Wrap Bitcoin are layer two? Because it it seems a different point, but I, but I guess it is. Yeah, I mean, I would say all of these are. I think Nadav agrees with me. Yeah, I mean, I, I think a lot of people quibble about what layer two means and there's not really much consensus on it. I personally use it very loosely and I think Shinobi does too, just to mean like off-chain Bitcoin, um, which all these would count as. All right. So a good a good starting point, and I'm gonna let you take this one, Nadav, because you're new. You'll throw you right into the cauldron. Do you want to talk about why layer two exists, why layer two is necessary? Uh, to be built upon, or why layer two um, technologies are required to be built on top of Bitcoin, um, because some people might be like, "What? What the hell? Why can't why can't the Bitcoin base chain do all of this?" Yeah. So essentially, blockchains solve a very specific problem, and you know that's their their big innovation. But they suck at pretty much everything else. Uh, which, I mean, maybe this is just a tautology, like they're good at everything uh, that they're good at and they suck at the things they're not good at. But I guess the, the point here is that they're good at like very little. Um, they're good at this kind of distributed, decentralized, permissionless, uh, somewhat trustless settlement system. But if you try to add anything on top of that, then you start to trade off and give up some of those things, either the decentralization or the permissionless or, or, or something like this, um, censorship resistant. So essentially, uh, you know, Bitcoin was designed very minimally for this reason. And, you know, you can't just execute arbitrary programs on the Bitcoin blockchain because then no one would be able, no one would be able to run a Bitcoin node uh, like Gail discussed in the last one. 
Um, and so essentially, the idea behind kind of layer two and just layering on top of the Bitcoin blockchain is uh, kind of to take uh, these trade-offs in a way that doesn't uh, affect uh, people who don't want to take those trade-offs. So it's a way of kind of scaling, and uh, there's other things you can get with this too, like privacy benefits and um, more expressive contracting and programming. But essentially, at the end of the day, you want to be using a blockchain for like this base layer settlement that you build on top of because blockchains really suck and like you shouldn't be storing arbitrary amounts of data or executing non-trivial programs on a blockchain. Can I attempt the TLDR? Yeah, TLDR that, man. So blockchains can't scale, okay? Anybody who's telling you a blockchain can scale is lying to you. So when we have a bunch of people like us who want Bitcoin to be this super decentralized hard money that anybody can settle in, and somebody else wants to do Bitcoin PayPal, you can't put that on the blockchain. So you have people send you your Bitcoin and you do Bitcoin PayPal with your own centralized database because that does scale. And so like all the things that people want to do on top of Bitcoin, besides just that super hard money we can verify, that you just can't do that on the blockchain. It, it, it just won't work. Well, Shinobi, let's break it down even further. Define super hard money. What is it that Bitcoin? What is it about Bitcoin that makes it super hard money? That we can all see the supply. We can all see when new coins are issued. We can all see that none of the rules are being broken there. And if all of us can't run a node, none of us can verify that. Well, do you think you could fit PayPal's entire transaction database on your MacBook, Peter? <laughs> <laughs> no. But let's break that down because again, it, let's let's get let's get to the absolute basics. And I'll, I'll I'll have a shot for once. Yeah, the way I see it, the simple way I see it, is that for every, anyone to be able to run a node, they have to be able to store the entire blockchain of data. And to be able to store the entire blockchain of data, they have to. We have to try and attempt, or the people who've programmed Bitcoin have tr- try and attempt to keep the blockchain as small as possible. That's what it's about, really. So it can keep all transactions. And I would say that any trade-off to allow uh, more data or anything else to be built on on top of that is going to uh, change the trade-off in terms of how many people can run a node. Mm-hmm. How did I do? That's great. I, I also I use Layer 2 very broadly, and I also use Big Blocks very broadly. So I talk about like smart contracting platforms as just like, Bigger blocks with extra steps. <laughs> like the goal is to keep things small. Let, Nadav, let's talk about the, the trade-off. Say that Ethereum makes, and this isn't. Let's rather than just have a Ethereum is shit. Let's just be neutral about it. But what is the trade-off Ethereum makes versus Bitcoin, and what does that mean for users of Ethereum? Yeah. So that you know, the, there are a lot of ways in which they differ, but I think the the one we're talking about right now is just about um, kind of you know the considerations for decentralization of running nodes, and in those terms, you know, Ethereum has uh, more blocks with more computation required in order to do validation, and uh, you have to keep track of state on top of accounts and, and all sorts of other things. So essentially. Uh, 
in the Ethereum worlds, the majority of users are not like running fully validating clients. They're trusting some set of uh, like trusted clients that they just they essentially are running light clients. And so, you know, this has some some trade-offs. Uh, you know, the, the benefits of people running light clients is that you can have kind of the base layer do a ton of stuff because no one's, not many people, I should say, are validating it in comparison to something like Bitcoin. Of course, the downside is that not many people are validating it. So, you know, if your trusted people are lying to the people trusting them, then they can run away with all sorts of funds and uh, all sorts of other kinds of attacks that you open yourself up to. Right. Okay, so moving on from that, if we know that uh, um, with regards to the Bitcoin base chain, Shinobi, that we want to ensure that Bitcoin is maximally decentralized, which means keeping the block small, which means anyone can run a node from almost any device, you know, old laptops, Raspberry Pis, etc. What is the history of scaling before we start actually talking about these layer two solutions. Can can you talk to us about the history of scaling and, and when the discussions or the initial discussions around layer two technologies and how we've got to where we are now? Well, that is a, that's going to be a long deviation from this outline here. Well, um, give me the short version. So, yeah, the TLDR. Well, yeah, TLDR. Honestly, that conversation started the instant Satoshi published the white paper to the mailing list. Um, okay. Literally, the first response to that paper was from a man named James Donald, who literally, his his first response was, this is a very interesting system. Um, you know, this is cool, but this doesn't scale. Like, this is not going to scale big enough for everybody to just transact on it. And so he specifically started talking about um, Xiaomi and eCash servers, a centralized private um, digital cash that David Chalm invented in the 80s and actually deployed a little bit um, with two banks in the 90s. And using those on top of Bitcoin as kind of a way to actually be able to scale to transact and um, get some privacy benefits out of it too. And that was, that was literally the first response to Satoshi when he published the white paper. And then from there, um, you had Hal Finney and a lot of other people just kind of come to the conclusion that um, banks are going to be how we settle this and use this for money. And then obviously during the same period, you had a lot of other people's Roger Ver, the, the the people who eventually started the, the Bitcoin cash crowd, um, <clears throat> they just wanted to make blocks bigger. And then during this whole kind of period, um, like a, a kind of quiet period where there wasn't really much discussion publicly about these differing attitudes, you started having um, things like basic payment channels um, get developed. And then kind of the paper for the, the Lightning Network came out in uh, 2015, I think it was. And so kind of by the time that you would have had these two groups, the big blockers and the let's do Bitcoin banks kind of smashing heads when all the, the block size wars started. By that time, um, you know, you had these ideas for like the lightning network, side chains, the, these payment channel constructs. And so when that really came to a head, 
instead of just banks versus bigger blocks as the argument, like we had this whole new toolkit of all these second layers, like side chains and the lightning network to play with um, as an alternative to bigger blocks. And so it kind of just naturally got to the point where the people who wanted to do bigger blocks left and did that. And we're kind of building out all these way better options than just use banks. Yeah, and I think uh, sidechain discussion started around 2014, so around the same time as as Lightning. And for me, as, as somebody who, uh, who doesn't really understand the technical side too well, it, it seems to me like the Lightning network is a specific layer two technology, and then most of the other things we've talked about, Liquid, Wrapped Bitcoin, um, and some of the other uh, sidechain technologies I've heard of all feel very similar. They in that they main some kind they they kind of maintain some kind of peg, so your Bitcoin gets locked up and you get issued some kind of other token. Um, am I right to think that, that that there's kind of like the Lightning Network versus side chains? They is that a fair way of seeing things? I think I know. What, Shinobi, was your response going to be? Uh, they're both layer twos; they just have different trade offs or something like that. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Um, I, I wouldn't say. They're versus each other. It's just <clears throat> they're both optimized for different trade-offs. And, and okay. also a kind of nitpicky point to make is um, as long as a sidechain is based on Bitcoin, you can put Lightning on top of a sidechain. And like okay. Lightning on the sidechain can talk to Lightning on the main chain. And like those things can interoperate between each other. Yeah, one one cool feature of... Bitcoin's being so restrictive is that, uh, you know, essentially any layer on top of it that isn't more restrictive can interoperate with any other because at the end of the day, they both settle down to Bitcoin. Right. Okay, that's fair. Okay, so what's a better starting point? Should we start with the Lightning Network itself or should we look at sidechains? I'd I'd say sidechains just because it's probably going to be easier for less technical users to kind of wrap their head around. Okay, you start then, Shinobi. Explain what a sidechain is and how it works. All right, so pretty much um, Bitcoin's blockchain doesn't scale. So let's make a new one. (laughs) And when we make a new blockchain, um, you can really do whatever you want. Um, We could just copy paste the Bitcoin code as it exists now and replace mining with something and kapoof, that's a sidechain. Or we could take the Ethereum code base. Why would you want to do this? I don't know. Some people have though. And you can just make a sidechain on Bitcoin with that. And so it's really the important thing to think about is you're just making a new blockchain and those rules can be whatever you want them to be. But the catch is, pegging the Bitcoin in. You have to put that Bitcoin on the main chain somewhere to create some kind of guarantee that when you get this new Bitcoin token on the side chain and you spend that and you do things with that, that the money sitting on the main chain doesn't just disappear before you go to claim it to make sure that anybody who moves that main chain Bitcoin is only people who have Bitcoin on the sidechain, so nobody can lose their money. And there's really a lot of different ways to do that, but the the real only deployed way today 
is with a multi-sig address. I'm going to slow you up. We're going to we're going to go in a few slower steps. Okay, sorry, Shinobi. You, you know I do this. Okay, firstly, I just want to cover what we mean by scaling. Okay, what we're trying to do here by uh, scaling Bitcoin is trying to either or or either and should I say? Um, but we're trying to allow for people to do a little bit more with their Bitcoin, whether it's to uh, move Bitcoin around a little bit faster or uh, achieve more transactions uh, throughput. Th- that's what we're trying to achieve. Or perhaps even you may even sell, execute some kind of smart contract code. But we're trying to do more with Bitcoin, but we, we're, we're trying to do that in a separate environment without affecting the base chain. God, I, I always yes. think I know what I'm saying by explaining it badly. Is that okay? Have I got that? Yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think at the end of the day, block space is scarce. And so we want to kind of uh, be able to use Bitcoin without competing with everyone else for the scarce block space. But these side chains also themselves come with trade-offs. So I think one of the easiest ways, let, why don't we use a specific side chain as an example? Can we start, can we go with Liquid, Shinobi? Yeah, that works. So, yeah. and, and just my basic understanding of Liquid is that I lock up Bitcoin and then I receive Liquid Bitcoin. And with Liquid Bitcoin, I'm in a, a, a new specific blockchain, which allows me to do other things. Am I correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah, like pr- pretty much in order to get Bitcoin on Liquid. Um, how Liquid works is you have the federation. And so that's just a big multi-sig address. And that's used, one, to actually um, sign blocks on the sidechain. So instead of proof of work um, and mining for blocks, you just have the federation sign them. And as long as the threshold of the federation signs it, that's a valid block um, accepted. And also, the federation also has custody of all the Bitcoin on the sidechain in a multi-sig on the the main Bitcoin chain. So the like real high level of the consensus is you just put Bitcoin into this federation's multi-sig and they issue this token backed by that Bitcoin on the sidechain. And then that multi-sig address is, is totally in control of the coins on the main chain of what's happening on the side chain, um, you completely have to trust that at least that threshold required to sign from the federation will act honestly, both in operating the side chain itself and not stealing anybody's Bitcoin on the main chain. Okay. Is it fair to say that liquid Bitcoin is a form of custodial Bitcoin? If I'm having to trust the federation, I I would I would say it's fair to point out similarities there. I wouldn't call it outright custodial because instead of a single entity having total control to do whatever you want, you have to have that threshold of of members in the federation agree to do something. So like multiple people have to agree in or in order to like steal your money. There, there isn't the one person that can just do that. I think okay. I would, I would consider it like a distributed custodianship, mm-hmm. uh, where like you know the most distributed custodianship is just having your own keys on on Bitcoin, and then you know there's things in between, and then there's like 
putting your funds on like Coinbase or Gemini or Kraken or something. And then this is a bit more distributed than that. Okay, so just so people understand, with the the Bitcoin-based layer blockchain, every 10 minutes, a miner mines a new block, you know, approximately, and that will include all the transactions that have been created, blah, blah, blah. But on the liquid blockchain... Uh, the blocks aren't mined, they're signed for by the Federation. So it should probably explain the Federation a bit. Who's in the Federation? How many, what the type of people who signed up? Uh, how many have to, uh, have to sign a block? How does that all work? Well, it's, it's pretty much just um, ran by exchanges in the space and um, actually some um, legacy financial institutions um, like the Swiss Stock Exchange is um, one of the Federation members. But um, I, I think for the on-chain wallet, it's a 12 of 15, I think, multi-sig um, because until we get Taproot, that's the biggest multi-sig that you can make is um, 15 people. And then for the sidechain um, consensus, I think it, there might actually be more signers than that um, because the, there is kind of like a, a membership tier in Liquid where you, you can be like um, part of the, the federation, so to say, in that you are a registered business. Um, you can process withdrawals out of Liquid for customers, but you're not actually part of the multi-sig that's holding keys on the, the main chain or signing sidechain blocks. And then there's kind of that higher tiered federation member where you're actually participating in custodying the, the funds on the main chain, signing the blocks. Um, and they also um, just released in the, the newest uh, node client for that support for something called a dynamic federation. So um, now pretty much the members with um, whatever thresholds are needed can add or remove um, different members from the federation. So let, like, let's say one company, um, they haven't been managing their servers right, they went down, like that company is just consistently not signing blocks for the side chain, they're not signing withdrawals when they should. Um, a majority of the federation can kind of just kick them out of the the multi-sig, remove them from signing blocks on the side chain, um, move the coins on the main chain and remove their key from that. And they could also add new members. Like, you know, we just lost a a member of the federation. Somebody else who is going to be reliable wants to join. They can just add him in as well. And so it's it's, instead of like just um, the static group, it's kind of this um, this evolving set that can change whenever a majority of them want to change. And uh, I, I point that out because I think for people who want to use something like Liquid, that's an important thing to pay attention to. Like members, like let's say you start using the network right now because you trust the, the people operating it right now. There is possibility that that changes over time. And so if you're a user of that network, that's something you should pay attention to and be aware of. Okay. Yeah, okay. so with something like Liquid, the Federation is this uh, like consortium of uh, businesses that have a vested interest in Liquid existing. And uh, they're, they're trusted, not like as individuals, but as a group. Right. Okay. So, what's what's the use case for Liquid? What? Who's using Liquid? Why would they use it? I, I, 
it seems to me like something like Lightning is something I can pretty much send Bitcoin to anyone with it. Like Nadav, if like if you wanted to receive some uh, Sats, I could send it to you. You've probably got a Lightning wallet, say with Yushinobi. A lot of people in Bitcoin do. Lightning seems a bit different. Is who would be using Lightning? For, uh, sorry, Liquid. Who would be using Liquid and for what purpose? Well, originally the kind of main idea behind it um, is for traders. Like if you look at um, transactions on the blockchain, I think at times up to like 50% of them are literally just coins moving between exchanges because Mm -hmm. you have traders taking advantage of price differences. And so the, the original kind of purpose for Liquid was just give traders a, a little walled garden where they can just move things between exchanges quickly and not eat up all this main chain block space that could be used by Lightning users or people actually using it as money. Um, but, but really, though, um, there, there's a lot of potential uses beyond that. Like the the ability to upgrade it much more quickly because it's it's not the main chain. These businesses can just coordinate and upgrade things. Um, you know, there there's a lot of potential for more flexible smart contract stuff that we can't do or can't do as easily right now on the main chain. You know, if you're okay with that trust environment, and that's the key point here. Um, it's also just a cheaper layer to to move or manage Bitcoin. I mean, like if over the next couple of years, fees start going up, they stay up. It's going to be very hard for somebody who wants to buy like a hundred dollars of Bitcoin and self custody it. Like that's going to be very expensive for them. But if they're okay with the kind of trust model of a side chain like Liquid, that might actually be much more affordable for them. There. Does do the Liquid blocks have a block size? Yes. They do come every minute, though, instead of 10 minutes. Every minute. Um, and when they come every minute, do they confirm every minute rather than waiting for a certain number of confirmations? Yeah, you can pretty much treat after um, the first block built on top of that as good enough um, because none of the Federation members will ever um, do a reorg more than one block. Right. Okay. Okay. So really, it sounds to me like Liquid is a almost like a, well, it's, it's almost what it says. It's a sidechain. It's a kind of separate environment whereby you trade in your Bitcoin, you receive liquid Bitcoin, you can move it around that network quickly. You know, I could move some liquid Bitcoin to Nadav. Nadav, you could move it onto an exchange. You can move it from one exchange to another. It just gives you a lot more flexibility. And then perhaps when you're done in that environment, you can then withdraw your uh, lightning and you get uh, base chain Bitcoin back. But also, like you're saying, Shinobi, it might get to a point at some point in the future where actually people just hold liquid Bitcoin and don't actually hold basic chain Bitcoin. Yeah, and I, I also, I, I think they have some other experiments going on in liquid. Like Shinobi mentioned, it's a good kind of breeding ground for experimentation since it's much easier and, and kind of more centralized to uh, do updates than on like a public ledger like Bitcoin. So I think liquid also has like confidential transactions that's like zcash like technology that they're experimenting with and they have uh like issuing of new assets and things so people are like playing around with nfts however we think about them uh you know you can you can do these kinds of things on a side chain as well okay 
So just my final question on something like specific to liquid, if it's if we trust it enough and it is faster and cheaper to move liquid Bitcoin around within that network than uh, on the base chain, is there a scenario where uh, liquid expands so much that so many people are putting their Bitcoin within liquid that that actually is a risk to the base chain? Um, well, I mean, potentially, but um, I, I would say that risk exists for anything. Like okay. that could be Coinbase or that could be JP Morgan mm-hmm. or a Bitcoin ETF. Um, like at too much of all the coins going to one place is bad no matter where that place is if it's like a centralized place. Yeah, though I would say it's, it's probably worse for the people using Liquid than say the people who just have Bitcoin on main chain because it's kind of like this bigger honey pot now. Um, and, you know, maybe there's more incentive to, like, exit scam or something like this. Yeah, mm-hmm. but I guess then it comes down to who are the who is part of that federation, and it has to be the right companies where there's no incentive for them to do that because it destroys Bitcoin. Hey, Peter, I'm going to blow your mind right now. Go on, blow my mind, dude. <clears throat> you could have multiple federations on a single sidechain like Liquid. Like, the, there is absolutely no reason why the, air quote, official Liquid Federation has to be the only people who accept Bitcoin on the main chain and give you Bitcoin tokens on the side chain. You, you, you could have 12 different federations on Liquid if people wanted to do that. To be clear, Shinobi, though, that would mean that there are like 12 different side chains, right? It's not like there's one side chain no, with multiple no. federations. You, you, no. you could do that on, on one side chain. Like right now, Nadav, I could just go issue an asset on Liquid. You can send me Bitcoin and you can have Shinobi's Bitcoin on Liquid instead of the official federation. Got you. So you're talking about like a sidechain off of a sidechain, kind of, if I'm understanding you correctly. I mean, you could do it that way or just directly on the same sidechain. Right. Okay. Well, look, my general understanding for Liquid, therefore, is that it has a certain use case for certain people who want to move around Bitcoin uh, between in a certain environment quickly and easy at a lower cost. I don't personally have a use for that right now. I'm not a trader. Perhaps if I was arbing between certain exchanges, I might look at it, but I, I understand it. Okay. Can yeah, we, and can I think we... one last important thing to note is that uh, part of the reason why this makes a lot of sense for traders is kind of the downside of the sidechain, or at least this federated two-way peg sidechain, is um, that you have to trust the federation. But, you know, traders are already trusting all of these exchanges while they're doing their normal business activity. So it makes a lot of sense for them. Can you, can you explain what the peg is and how that is maintained? Actually, I think, Nadav, if you want to go into this, this would probably be a good point to kind of generalize the concept of the peg and and kind of get into that. Sure. Yeah. I mean, at a a super high level, and then I'll let Shinobi maybe take it a bit deeper. A peg is just uh, any mechanism that you can use to essentially take Bitcoin off or out of uh, the, the Bitcoin blockchain and essentially uh, bring it elsewhere, such as onto a side chain or onto Lightning. Well, maybe we don't want to get into that yet, but um, such as onto a side chain. And then if it's a two-way peg, you should also be able to then 
take it back. So essentially uh, destroy the off-chain Bitcoin and reclaim the on-chain Bitcoin. Though maybe just as a, a quick note, like the simplest kind of peg is just a one-way peg where you burn your coins on-chain. So you, you provably destroy Bitcoin um, by sending it to like a random, not a random address, but like a, an address that no one knows the private key for. So you can like send it to some specific message that was not constructed by generating a private key or something like this, or just to an unspendable location like an op return. And so you, you provably burn your Bitcoin in a way that gives you this off-chain token, but then you can never claim it back. So um, this has probably uh, very different use cases than something like Liquid, where you want to be able to get your Bitcoin back. But yeah, most people, I think, are more interested in two-way pegs, though I think there's some fun little projects out there where you literally just burn your Bitcoin and get this off-chain uh, kind of Bitcoin. Burning but, your Bitcoin sounds yeah. scary. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it, it does. But I think it's, it's maybe a little less scary than you might initially think. Um, for one, I don't think any of these um, kind of proof of burn, like one-way pegs, I, I don't think any of them are uh, advertised as like a store of value. It's more so like to use it. So maybe you burn like five bucks and, and then now you can use this other smart contracting platform or whatever on, on a side chain without introducing like a new token. Um, and then the other thing to note is like when other people are burning their coins, you shouldn't mind too much because that's good for you as a, as a Bitcoin holder. Um, yeah, go, but, go burn those coins. <laughs> yeah, go, go, go burn those coins. Um, and so uh, a notable one-way peg would be like um, Counterparty, where uh, the, uh, which is a, a Bitcoin, I think we'd call it a sidechain, um, where you burn, I, I know not too much about Counterparty other than that, that's where the rare Pepe's existed. And so the, the original NFTs yes. were on this one-way peg sidechain of Bitcoin back in, I don't remember when, but a while ago. But yeah, uh, maybe more interesting is, is kind of two-way peg mechanisms because they're harder, like provably burning coins and then never having to worry about bringing uh, those coins back onto Bitcoin is, is not as difficult as trying to maintain a two-way peg where you can like freeze on-chain funds uh, in order to get off-chain funds and then um, burn the off-chain funds in order to unfreeze your on-chain funds is, I guess, how I would describe a, a normal two-way peg. Yeah, I still, that, that concept of burning your Bitcoin to get some <laughs> other token coin somewhere else, I don't know, that, that sounds scary. Let's move on to the rat Bitcoin. I think... I think there's a potential some people listening so far are going to be like, what the fuck? I've got no idea what you still, lot just talked about. There's still one fun, one, one fun oh, thing I, I think on, what we I should get into. So I think like just when it comes to sidechain pegs, there's one important thing to understand. Um, this is the most important thing. Whatever security claims that the sidechain is making about the actual sidechain itself Mm-hmm. can never be greater than the security claims of the peg that's actually putting Bitcoin on that chain. You know, like one thing we didn't get into is there are proposals um, to instead of using the federation um, and like a multi-sig as a two-way peg, 
you can use miners. Like we would create a new op code um, that would let miners just kind of take control of coins with a long time lock. And the idea would be that you trust um, majority of miners to be honest. And when you want to leave the side chain, you would make your transaction on the side chain. And after a long time delay um, to guarantee that honest miners can call shenanigans if some miners are trying to steal money, um, it would just unlock um, the coins and give them back on the main chain. But there, there's a lot of um, incentive concerns there in terms of maybe bringing more centralization pressures to mining doing that. But um, there are some side chains out there such as Rootstock that use proof of work for the sidechain block consensus, but they use a multi-sig for the peg because there's no support for using miners for that right now. And so I kind of just want to point out, like, even though they're using mining and proof of work on the sidechain, none of that security transfers over to the Bitcoin on that sidechain. Like it would apply to like some new tokens or NFT stuff that you minted there because those only exist on the sidechain. But the security of the Bitcoin, it gains absolutely nothing by the sidechain having miners because that peg is still a multi-sig that some group of people control. Yeah. And as a, as a last note, I think it's probably worth mentioning, you know, the state of side chains these days is very much oriented around these kind of federations that you trust, uh, that use some kind of multi-sig on-chain. Um, but uh, side chain research is like very much like cutting edge active research that people are doing today. So I wouldn't be surprised if in 10 years we have like a much cooler, different story. But it, it's very much kind of uh, open research that, that's still happening. Next up, I talk to Shinobi and Nadav more about second layers. But before that, I do have a message from my amazing show sponsors. So let's kick it off with Exodus Wallet, who I am using as my mobile and desktop wallet for Bitcoin. And someone asked me recently how I'm using Exodus. Right, I've got this issue with my accountant. If you've been listening before, she's getting pretty pissy with me. Because every time I send her my accounts at the end of the month, she's like, who have you sent this Bitcoin to? Who have you received it from? What's it for? and I was not keeping very good records. So I'm using the advanced feature for adding notes so that when I send her the monthly audit, I can show her what all the Bitcoin transactions are and for. While I use Casa for my deep cold storage, I use Exodus for my day-to-day Bitcoining with my business because I get paid in Bitcoin and I pay people in Bitcoin. And the reason I like Exodus is they crush the UX. It's so easy to use. But don't just trust me. Go and find out. Head over to exodus.com or search for Exodus in the Google or Apple app stores, which is E-X-O-D-U-S. And next up, we have Casa, the very best in Bitcoin security. Now, if you're sat on a decent stack of Bitcoin and you aren't custodying it, or you have it all on a single wallet, it's probably time for you to go out and consider Casa. And I know what you are thinking. Do I need this? Isn't it going to be a pain to set up? Maybe some of you are thinking, what the hell is a multi-sig wallet? This shit's too scary. I know. I know. Trust me. I had all the same questions. Honestly, it could not be easier to set up and you get so much peace of mind when you have. A multi-sig wallet allows you to custody your Bitcoin but only move Bitcoin by signing transactions from multiple wallets, ones which you can distribute into different locations, protecting yourself from a range of mistakes, errors and vulnerabilities. 
And if you've got any questions, you can DM me on Twitter. You can email me. I am willing to answer any questions about my experience. Also, go and check out my Twitter because I'm running a competition with Castle right now. We're giving away one of their platinum packages. There is no better time to upgrade your Bitcoin security and get total peace of mind. You can find out more at keys.casa, which is K-E-Y-S dot C-A-S-A. And last up today, we're finishing with sportsbet.io, the very best in online gaming, and they accept Bitcoin. Also amazing as they have confirmed this competition. Oh, God, I know it's been taking a long time. Pretty sure we're announcing it in Miami. We're giving away a Lambo or maybe something else because I think I've negotiated something else very cool that might be given away as part of this competition. Now, Sportsbet.io, also the front of shirt sponsor for Southampton, and they're the betting partner of Arsenal. They're putting Bitcoin all around the world. They're telling people about Bitcoin everywhere. They put a Bitcoin logo on the front of a Premier League shirt. So cool. Now, with Sportsbet.io, you have every market you could possibly be interested in. They've got football. They've got tennis. They've got US sports. They've got motorsports. They've even got esports. They've got every sport you could think of. And for new customers, they always have a range of promotions available. So if you want to find out more, please do head over to sportsbet.io forward slash promotions, which is S-P-O-R-T-S-B-E-T dot I-O forward slash promotions. So back back to Rap Bitcoin. As I said, this is this one's uh, a little bit more, I think, going to be interesting for some people. Sorry. <coughs> because uh, I'm pretty sure a lot of people will have heard these, uh, us talk about liquid sidechain, and, and for a lot of been like, what the, what the fuck are you guys on about? Um, but I think rap Bitcoin, there's a bit more interest because, not that I agree with that, and I would never wrap my Bitcoin. Uh, it sounds scary as hell. But the idea that people can do a little bit more with their Bitcoin on the Ethereum blockchain, they can essentially use it to earn yield and blah, blah, blah. Um, I think there's going to be some more interest in that. I think at the same time, there's going to be some people losing their shit going, fucking, why are you covering this? Just call it a scam. Wrap Bitcoin or not Bitcoin. You know, go to fucking hell, blah, blah, blah. But I think just to do it as justice, that, you know, I, I know it's like something like a bit over a billion or something. Maybe it's even more is locked up. There's a lot of Bitcoin that is locked up uh, as wrap Bitcoin right now. So I think people should definitely hear about it. And and if it's a negative, they should hear why. Just just first and foremost, and you both should answer, but I'll start with you, Nadav. Like, do you have a general opinion on wrap Bitcoin? Yeah. So I think, honestly, it's not too far removed from things like side chains in, in the sense that, uh, you know, if you're willing to trust some parties, uh, then, you know, it's it's not too different between using a side chain and using wrapped Bitcoin. Though I will say using wrapped Bitcoin is just inherently going to be a little bit more risky because uh, you not only need to trust, uh, you know, some some peg, but you also need to trust that uh, this, you know, other blockchain you're using was, you know, works, and, you know, it's, its consensus mechanism works and its cryptography works and it doesn't have any bugs and it isn't going to be forked tomorrow into something entirely different and all sorts of these kinds of other newer considerations. And I think, though, maybe the one of the key differentiators that makes this maybe a little less interesting to me than sidechains is that um, at the end of the day, in order for these things to work, you you are kind of relying on uh, another token, another token as a, as storing some kind of value in order to maintain 
the security of that other system. So, you know, if you're someone who thinks like in the long term, uh, you know, Bitcoin is going to be much, much more valuable than uh, these these other tokens just, you know, as a thing that stores value, then you're not actually going to be able to securely lock up very much Bitcoin elsewhere. Um, it just won't make very much sense. So I think uh, it's more interesting today than it will be in the future. So just from like a research and technology perspective, I find it a little less interesting. But I guess I'm I'm, I'm trying to stay pretty open-minded about it as as something, at least for now, as a way to, to play around with Bitcoin elsewhere. Shinobi, I'd be curious what your opinion is, though. Well, I think you are exactly correct as far as kind of framing it as a sidechain. I mean, <clears throat> that's literally all it is. It's a trusted peg with, I think, BitGo. And yeah, it's just using Ethereum as if it were a sidechain. So yeah, I mean, Peter, like, I think this is just as much Bitcoin as any Bitcoin on the liquid sidechain is. But um, really, the only reason this exists is because there is so much um, degenerate trading nonsense that exists for no reason than to take suckers money on Ethereum. And there are enough um, traders in this space who denominate and want to trade in Bitcoin off of that. So here you go. Somebody did it. <laughs> right. So so in some ways, the uh, wrap Bitcoin is similar to Liquid in that you are sending your Bitcoin to a multi-sig where it's locked up and you are being issued a uh, token on Ethereum in return. And uh, at the point you want your base chain Bitcoin back, you're sending the Ethereum back to whatever wallet that goes to and you're receiving your Bitcoin back. I understand that it's very it's very similar in terms of that, but once you're on the Ethereum network with your Bitcoin, we, we know there's a, there's a little bit more flexibility. You can move it around quicker. They have yield services. There's yes. trading. Yes, there's a whole Peter, bunch of things they can do. There is an infinitely larger way or, or number of ways to lose your money, Peter. Yes, there Well, that's the point. You can experience you're, the joys of paying transaction fees when the transaction fails and doesn't go through. You can mm-hmm. experience the joys of thinking you're about to get your winning shitcoin trade and having some miner undercut your trade transaction with their own in a block. You can experience the joys of smart contract failures, fees higher than Bitcoin fees were at the highest peak. All of these joys can be yours if you just wrap your Bitcoin on Ethereum. So basically, <laughs> you're exposing yourself to all the issues or problems that people have identified with Ethereum. Which is Basically, that's yep. what you're saying. Yeah. Yep. Are there any examples where people have lost their wrapped Bitcoin or wrapped Bitcoin have been stolen? Do we know of any of those yet? Um, Not off the top of my head, but honestly, these days, I really don't pay attention to the shit show of Ethereum that much. Um, I feel confident saying it's, it's likely that some have been stolen in a smart contract exploit. I'd, I would say that is highly likely by now. Depending on, you know, your semantics for whether you consider that stealing, right? You know, <laughs> if it's just a bad oh, yeah. contract that you put your money into. Mm-hmm. That, that okay. is definitely an argument to have. So, Nadav, I want, to do, I want you to do one of your more interesting kind of um, clubhouse takedowns of this. Uh, start talking about some of the risks that people are exposing them, themselves to 
specifically with Ethereum. I've heard I've heard you explain on in very civil and very detailed and, and understandable way of some of the massive issues associated with Ethereum. Do you want to take that very broad question and pick pick off what you want to choose from that? Um, I guess there's there's a couple things. So one of them we've already kind of discussed, which is it's very challenging to actually run a validating Ethereum node. Um, so you aren't necessarily, most, in most cases, people aren't just trusting uh, this peg, right, in order to have these wrapped Bitcoin, but they'd also be running a light client and trusting some other validating entity uh, in order to do validation. So, you know, you could be told that, um, you know, you received something in return for your wrapped Bitcoin when you really didn't. There's there's all sorts of kinds of games that you're... Uh, essentially, you are just inherently, as not being a full validator, you are inherently at greater risk of uh, you know, being lied to or thinking that uh, things are uh, a certain way that they aren't. Um, there are also kind of the risks Shinobi mentioned where uh, Ethereum in particular, right, is, is uses Solidity as a programming language. It's, it's not a, an ideal programming language for contracting. If, if, you know, I mean, I guess that's an opinion, but... Uh, I, as someone who works in like strong type system programming languages for the purpose of not burning people's money, um, the idea of using anything like JavaScript to store people's funds and decide who gets what funds in a contract is just absolutely mortifying to me. There's so much attack surface when it comes to complex Solidity scripts. It's... Um, uh, though I, I will note, this isn't something that's like inherent to a smart contracting platform, but um, you, you do, I guess, just inherently, you know, if there's more functionality, there's more things that could go wrong, just at a high level. So, yeah, I, I think those are probably uh, two of the bigger risks. I guess there are also some others with respect to kind of the, uh, how, how Ethereum changes, uh, right? They hard fork very frequently, they have kind of a very centralized leadership that makes decisions on um, how Ethereum is going to change. Uh, it's it, it's kind of just uh, a bunch of these risks uh, wrapped into this one ecosystem where kind of everything in the background you always have to keep in mind, like the the security of this blockchain is actually tied to the value of this token and you know in bitcoin we have this kind of nice property that like bitcoin the asset is a desirable thing it's not um you, you know when people are using ethereum right ethereum in some sense is kind of analogous to I, i'm being a bit loose here so like don't come after me on Twitter, but ETH, the token, is not an asset that you want to hold in the same way that Bitcoin is, right? When people are buying Bitcoin, they th are thinking of it as like a long-term store of value investment. Ethereum acts more like 
like a banking fee, right? It's like this fee that you pay in order to use the Ethereum network. And, you know, if you're buying ETH or these other tokens uh, for, for blockchains, kind of like as an investment in your head, it's kind of like investing in banking fees. It doesn't really make much sense as uh, this store of value token. And uh, at the end of the day, like the security of not only like, you know, proof of work and, and the, the Ethereum blockchain, but also lots of these contract schemes with like distributed, uh, well, it depends on the model, but some of these uh, decentralized exchanges and things like this are also relying on, you know, the value of ETH not dropping, uh, especially, you know, if you're thinking about this in the long term. I just think that there's kind of a lot to unwrap when it comes to what are these extra risks you're taking if you're using something like wrapped Bitcoin or, you know, Ethereum just more generally. I I will say, though, I, I don't want to paint a picture of like, this is garbage, no one should ever use it. I mean, maybe in the long term, but the the bigger point I want to just make is that you should not view holding ETH as an investment in the same way as holding Bitcoin. I think that there are some fundamental differences there. And I think that a lot of people not understanding those fundamental differences leads to, you know, the information asymmetry that's just perfect for scammers. Like you don't want to expose yourself to that. You want to really understand what it is that you're holding. Not not to defend ETH because I don't own any, despite um, someone giving me lots of hot tips to buy it recently. ETH might be one of the few cryptocurrencies that actually also trends upwards over multiple years and cycles. Now, look, there's a lot of bullshit that goes in there. They're changing their monetary policy, blah, blah, blah. But, but at the same time, some people would argue, well, it's still proven to be a good investment over a long enough time period, perhaps how Bitcoin has. Um, are you saying it, you shouldn't treat it like Bitcoin because in some ways I see Bitcoin now as not a beta. Like I was doing an interview with Dan Held earlier and he said if Bitcoin succeeds, I kind of feel like it already has. Um, are you saying that there's too many long-term risks with ETH for it to be trusted as an investment? I think that's part of it. But I also think just like fundamentally speaking, like... If, if you put speculation aside, which maybe you can't, um, the Bitcoin's goal is to store value and Ethereum. I mean, so again, speaking loosely, you know, Bitcoin is not one person who has a goal. It's a bunch of different people and different. it's different for different people what it is. But generally speaking, I think it's relatively fair to say that um, you know, Bitcoin's goal is to be this, this store of value, this thing that people put value into. Uh, you know, you can see in its monetary policy and in its design and in the way that it changes when we're, you know, discussing things like soft forks and taproot and things like this, um, that it's really like fundamentally speaking, uh, we want to make sure that it's it's this good money. Um, whereas, you know, I, I think if you look at how ETH is designed, it's really meant for like, you know, experimenting with, like, these smart contract things and decentralized computing of some kind. Um, And, you know, first of all, I I 
personally think, you know, like moving to proof of stake and all of these other things that are in the plans or in the roadmap or whatever for ETH, like I have my own like very, very large issues with proof of stake. I think that comparing it to proof of work is pretty silly. It's really just this very different like trust model. It's not a consensus model in the same way that proof of work is. Um, I think value and speculation aside, Bitcoin has proven itself to be a protocol that is um, kind of has the properties you would want in a store of value uh, in terms of like, it's very hard to change. Uh, when it does change, it requires this broad, you know, consensus and, you know, it has these certain priorities. Whereas if you look at ETH, you know, they hard fork all the time, centralized leadership, relatively speaking, at the very least. I, I, I think that, you know, the the value of it aside, uh, the the actual like what it is technologically speaking, like what what is ETH, I think isn't as conducive as an investment, uh, so much as you know the other arguments that have been made that I'm more sympathetic with that it's like a utility of some kind uh, as opposed to like this this money this store of value. Peter, I'm going to eviscerate this this topic in in about 30 seconds. Okay. Anybody who is thinking of ETH as an investment should ask themselves these questions. Look at all the clones of Ethereum, the more and more centralized clones like Binance Chain. Think about the fact that JP Morgan has forked and made a private version of Ethereum before and start thinking about the direction they're going to solve all of their problems with zero knowledge proofs to handle all scalability. Well, at this point, really, why isn't that going to go any way except all of these financial institutions, because they're going to be the only ones who could run validating nodes for something that unscalable in the first place, um, just have their own little private database. And they just reconcile their completely private databases with zero knowledge proofs. And then what value does a public Ethereum network and a, the asset of Ether have? When all the utility of all of this just boiled down to you guys finally got banks to replace COBOL. That's fair. <laughs> I mean, I don't invest in ETH anyway. Um, I, I, like, I, I don't care about people who do. Like, I, I, I'm not going to go on Twitter and yell at people anymore for that because I've tried that. And I, firstly, I, don't, I can't technically argue it. And at the same time, look, if people want to do stupid stuff, they, they want to. I think there is an, I think you can make a fair argument that if you pick the right time frame, ETH is a good investment. Whether you think ETH is a good product is a different thing, but people invest to make money on bad products. Um, I think it's a bad product, but on the right time frame, you could. Look, Keith, if, that's a if, good trade. That's yeah, it's a good not trade. an investment. You're making a trade. You are well, short-term timing the market to profit what's the difference? something. You're what's not the making difference? a long-term investment. Yeah, but what's the difference between an investment and a trade? What What's the time frame that makes a difference between a trade and investment? Like a trade to me is something, you know, traders going in and out of the market. But there were some people who will invest in Ethereum and perhaps over multiple months, even over a couple of years, they might on the right time frame outperform Bitcoin. That is a potential. I think maybe one thing to point out, though, even uh, on on this point, is that uh, even if we want to call it investing, we should still make sure to delineate in our minds, this is not like investing in like a stock 
right? Like, as I mentioned, uh, ETH is, does, well, I mean, there's the speculative aspect to it, but in, in some sense, it's at least a little bit similar to like, as I mentioned, investing in the thing you pay fees with, like investing in banking fees in some sense, as opposed to investing in like a bank or in, in a company or something like this. I don't think that it's fair to market investing in ETH as like investing in the ecosystem, because that's not what you're doing at the end of the day. Um, which is also, I think, why I semantically would go closer to calling it trading because you're just taking part in this speculative environment. You're not really, like, the way to invest in the ETH ecosystem it, like, is not to buy ETH, right? That's not equity. Uh, you could invest in companies built on top of Ethereum by actually buying equity. You could do things like this. Um, and, and I would maybe call that something closer to investment. But even kind of, I guess, yeah, the difference between a trade and an investment is just kind of like the semantic, somewhat murky water. But I would err on the side of, I mean, I, I get when people talk about investing in something like ETH. It's just, I, I hope that they also internally like understand what the differences are compared to other things that they would call investments. Maybe. I've, yeah. I mean, I've got no reason to defend ETH, but I, I still, you know, I still know that yelling at people has never stopped them. And I also imagine even some of your more uh, civilized takedowns uh, have still not changed people's opinion on it. Uh, people and I, ho- do I what hope they don't do. view them as takedowns when I'm just having a discussion, but I know I what do. you're saying. Oh, okay. I love it. Uh, but it was mainly, actually, the one I remember most was the guy from Polkadot. Um, that was pretty savage. Okay, well, listen, we've, we've dealt with rap Bitcoin. Let's move on to a lightning. Uh, I'll let you kick this one off, Shinobi. Uh, is Lightning the best gonna, layer 2 technology gonna we have? I'm going to pass the baton Ooh. to the man actually building in this space and okay. just uh, maybe normie it down a bit if necessary. But uh, All right. I think, think Nadav should start this one. So Nadav, would you say that the Lightning Network is the uh, the best layer, second layer technology we have? And there are reasons why you would say that? Um. Yes, if the trade-offs you're going for uh, have to do with, like, you know, if, if, if you're a trader and you're trusting exchanges anyway, then, uh, you know, I could see arguments to be made for other kinds of layer twos. But I think uh, for what a lot of Bitcoiners are looking for in, uh, they kind of want to be able to spend their Bitcoin maybe, or at least use it, uh, you know, for payments. Um I think that, and they want to do it in a way where they are never giving custody to someone else and requiring uh, trust in that way. Uh, and they, they want to remain kind of these fully validating, fully like sovereign in some sense entities. I think that lightning is kind of the thing they're looking for. Yeah. So uh, should I explain what, what lightning is at, at a high level? Yeah, let's or, okay. Yeah, let's explain how it works. Assume Assume you're talking to people who just learned what a UTXO is. All righty. So, um, yeah, so you understand, you know, if you have Bitcoin, what you really have is uh, the ability to spend a UTXO. So I guess we, we also discussed sidechains a little bit. So there is some similarity here, though there are some important differences. Uh, the similarity is what we're going to be doing is we're going to be locking up our Bitcoin on-chain 
uh, in order to get our Bitcoin on Lightning. And then we can spend it on Lightning and, you know, later uh, re reclaim it on chain. But we're not going to be using a federation or a peg, really. Uh, so, so how this works is uh, maybe let's start by talking about just what a single Lightning channel looks like. So we'll get to this whole network that is called the Lightning Network. But one of the more fundamental pieces of technology is just the ability to have a payment channel. So you can think of a payment channel a bit like a bar tab. Um, you know, if you go to a bar, you, you, or at least uh, you know, in the U.S., you, you can like hand them your credit card, they'll open a tab, you can uh, make as many payments in exchange for you know, drinks or whatever else, food, um, as you want. And then at the end, you know, when it's time to leave, then you close the tab and then you make a single payment. And this, you know, you can think of this as uh, helping avoid using the actual payment rails, except for uh, at the very end, essentially, to uh, avoid fees. And, you know, if you're talking about something like Bitcoin, it's also, you know, much faster. They don't have to swipe your card each time. Uh, where swiping your card in Bitcoin, or the analogy here, you know, it takes 10 minutes, maybe 30, maybe an hour. Um, so it's it's this much faster kind of instant uh, settlement, if you will. Um, and and uh, so, so this is kind of what channels are attempting to do. Um, it's essentially just this uh, trustless cooperation mechanism where uh, if I open a channel with Shinobi, we can, it's like an open tab between the two of us. We can send funds back and forth. It's like a private ledger instead of a public ledger. Um, and then at the very, you know, if we're done interacting with one another, then maybe we can go on chain and just do the aggregate of all of our transactions. Um, but the key thing here is that uh, unlike uh, kind of these analogies I've been making, uh, since this is actually built on top of Bitcoin in a relatively clever way, uh, it doesn't require that me and Shinobi trust one another uh, to uphold this tab, right? If we were just willing to trust one another, not really much use in, in a blockchain <laughs> uh, if, if everyone is just willing to trust one another. So what uh, Lightning channels kind of look like are we are going to uh, move our funds into a shared UTXO, uh, a two-of-two multi-signature, between, say, me and my channel counterparty, Shinobi. And uh, the reason that we do that is now those funds cannot be spent on-chain, right? It would require me and Shinobi in order to sign off on that. And so that means that I can't take my funds, which are supposed to be locked up in this tab, and spend them on-chain without Shinobi knowing about it, because it requires his signature. So uh, on-chain, what we have is this shared custody model, this two-of-two multi-signature. And so this is what makes it so that we know we're not like double spending. That's the locking mechanism. And then, you know, to unlock, uh, if we're both agreeing, we can just sign like who has what and send those funds off in Bitcoin world if when we're closing our Lightning channel. And then the last piece of this puzzle is uh, in order to make this actually trustless, we need a way in order to essentially have some kind of state of our tab, of our channel, who has what funds, um, that doesn't require cooperation in order to enforce, right? We want to be able to commit to a state in a way that once I've committed to a state, then uh, Shinobi can like 
uh, send the coins in to me and him as we deserve them uh, on chain without me unilaterally. So how this works is we have what's called a, a pre-signed transaction, or you can think of this as just a transaction that's like fully valid. Me and Shinobi have both signed it. Um, that spends our shared custody funds, our two of two multisig, uh, and outputs uh, his balance to him and my balance to me. But the thing we do with this transaction is we just don't broadcast it. We just hold on to it. And then so long as we're both cooperating, uh, we are able to essentially update this transaction and revoke the old state. So you can essentially update this transaction. And at any time, if ever there's like a disagreement, Shinobi disappears, I just want to close my channel, I'm done with it, then I just broadcast this fully valid transaction. And it doesn't require any cooperation from Shinobi in order to do that. So essentially, the Lightning Network is just a way to use Bitcoin uh, in a way that so long as me and my channel counterparty are cooperating, we can send funds back and forth, uh, have essentially instant settlement, pay no on-chain fees, don't even touch a blockchain, um, unless you know there's a dispute or we have some other reason why we need to close that channel. And then uh, you know the the last thing that so you know this is maybe as I've described it so far useful for like you know two uh, businesses that pay each other often or two friends that pay each other often, but what about, like, how does this actually help us scale to do payments between two arbitrary pe uh, peers, right? Like, how am I supposed to pay someone I've never met that I just mm -hmm. met that I want to pay over the Lightning Network? Um, well, how it works is you can actually connect Lightning channels. So if I have a channel to Shinobi and Shinobi has a channel open with Peter, then I can essentially pay Shinobi to pay Peter, and we can essentially do these routed payments and then the cool thing about Lightning and the way that this is all set up is since our Lightning channel state is just a Bitcoin transaction, uh, you can think of that as essentially, as I mentioned, a private ledger between me and Shinobi, where this ledger, you know, normally it just has like my balance, his balance. But really, it's as powerful, as expressive as the Bitcoin blockchain in terms of the kinds of contracts that you can write up. Right? Bitcoin has some minimal scripting. You can do multi-sig, you can do time locks, hash locks, these kinds of things. Um, so essentially, you know, anything that you could put on the Bitcoin blockchain, you could put on this private channel between me and Shinobi. And so one example of a contract that you can have in Bitcoin is called an atomic swap, uh, which is essentially uh, a trustless way of I send coins to you and you send coins to me, like different coins. And we can uh, essentially use these things called hash locks to make this atomic so that uh, I can only claim my funds if I've sent you your funds. So it, they either both fail or they both succeed. Uh, and so we just put these in lightning channels and how, it, how this happens then is uh, I essentially don't just pay Shinobi right away. I don't move my money into his balance. Instead, I move it into this intermediate place just as an output on our transaction, on our state, um, so that uh, it says Shinobi can claim these funds if he tells me this secret, this the pre-image to a hash or something like that. It's like, reveal the secret to this thing, uh, the secret behind this thing, uh, and you can claim these funds. But the trick here is that Shinobi doesn't know the secret. Peter does. 
So then I tell Shinobi, if you want to know what the secret is, you have to pay Peter this much. That's what he's expecting. And then Shinobi sets up the same contingent payment in his channel with Peter, where he's like, pay, I'll pay you if you give me the secret. And then he takes maybe like a small fee. Like we're talking like milli-satoshis. Um, and then, you know, Peter, who wants to get paid by me, uh, will accept that payment. And how he does that is he reveals the secret to Shinobi so that he can claim his funds. And then they update it and actually move it into his balance. Uh, and then now Shinobi knows the secret, and so he gives it to me. And keep in mind, right, if he never got the secret from Peter, that means he never lost funds. Uh, so if he did get the secret, that's the only way he could have lost funds. But since he has the secret, now he can claim his payment from me. So the routing nodes never get footed with the bill. Um, and essentially, this is the the technology that allows us to link these channels up. And so you can imagine, like, this is a very simple, like, we just routed through Shinobi for me to pay Peter, even though I don't even have a channel open to Peter. But you can have, like, you know, 20 hops, you know. I can pay through a bunch of different channels and eventually reach, you know, the person who I've never met before who I'm trying to pay. So really just by opening a single lightning channel with another person who has some lightning channels open, like if you're just joining the network, uh, you already have access to, like, basically the entire uh, network that you would want to have access to after just opening a channel or two. Right. I'm going to make you break this down a little bit easier now. That's a good explanation. <laughs> and I'm going to say one of those things that pisses people off and they say, Pete, don't do this. But I think a lot of people just won't give a shit. They'll be like, I just want to use it. That's fair. I don't, That's fair. Yeah, I don't. And, no, and I'm glad you explained it. And I, it's not, I don't appreciate it. I do. Uh, it's more to say that, you know, when I use the Visa network, I don't understand how money gets moved behind it. I swipe my card and the money goes. And yes, I understand with Bitcoin, we need a little bit more responsibility. I do understand that. But just for the basics, I want to use the Lightning network, Nadav. Okay, I've got my Lightning wallet. You know, I've set up my node. Uh, I, I've, I've downloaded Umbro. I've set it all up. And it says open channels. What is happening when I click and open a channel? Yeah. So that great question. So when you open a channel, what that means is that you are moving your funds into a, to, a shared custody with the channel counterparty. And that allows you then to spend it over Lightning and no longer to spend it on the Bitcoin blockchain itself. So if I open up a channel with you, and that's my only channel, but say you've got, I don't know, 10 channels, by the time I've sent, I've used you to send some sats to somebody random across the network, it's going to go via our channel, via a bunch of other channels to get to that person. That's right. So, uh, you know, and, and all of this should be hidden from you if you're using yeah. any reasonable wallet, right? You'll just open a channel to me and then you'll be able to just pay like someone gives you an invoice. You pay that invoice. It's a QR code or something. Uh, and then behind the scenes, you'll be using your channel to me. You'll pay me. I'll pay someone else. They'll pay someone else. They'll pay the person you're trying to pay. And then it'll all happen in a way where uh, either the payment fails for everyone or it succeeds for everyone. Uh, and okay. so essentially, when you are paying over Lightning, right, the key thing is you're not actually going on chain. So it's very fast, you know, a second or two. Um, you don't have to wait for block times and things like this. And also, you're not paying for block space. Uh, you are, there's still a fee involved. You have to pay in order to use other people's liquidity because they're essentially locking up their own Bitcoin in their channels for you in order to facilitate this. Uh, so they'll take a small fee, but it's nothing like a block fee. It's like, as I mentioned, everything on the Lightning Network is denominated in milli-satoshis. Right, okay, but let's just say I open so, up so a... So, Peter, yep. 
when you guys get through this, I'm going to do what I always do when you respond with people won't care. And I'm going to jump in with something that they have to care about. That's good. And you should do. But I just want to do a couple more questions with Nadav. Okay, so Nadav, I open up a channel with you. That's my only channel open. And I've opened it up with zero point, I don't know, zero five Bitcoin. That's the maximum amount of I can spend. Once I've spent that, I'm out of liquidity. If, if you don't receive anything and you're just spending, then yeah, you, that's, that's the Bitcoin that you have to spend. Um, and uh, if you wanted more, you would have to you know, lock up more opening okay, channels. But what about if I open up with 0.05 Bitcoin, a channel with you, but your channel, has, like, it, does your channel have to match mine or can you have less Bitcoin in your side? Good question. So uh, these days... Uh, and this is already changing. I believe C Lightning, which is an implementation of a Lightning node, uh, already has uh, this feature. But um, these days, when you open a channel, uh, only one side like funds the channel, so they start with all of the uh, all of the funds. Um, but uh, in the very near future, as I mentioned, there's this has already been been done in the real world in the wild. Uh, we will have dual-funded channels where both parties, in or- the opening process is a bit more complicated, right? It requires this coordination when you open a channel, but uh, which is why we didn't start with this. It was like a, a next step. But with dual-funded channels, essentially both parties will, will have funds. Um, and since, right, this is like just locked up on-chain, each channel has a fixed capacity like uh, for the sum of both sides, Okay. Uh, but yeah, like when you make a payment, uh, your side will have less, my side will have more. And then, you know, if you receive a payment, it'll go back. So there's kind of, uh, yeah, the, when, you're, when you're running a lightning channel, uh, you, you do kind of have to think about at least a little bit uh, this liquidity, right? If someone wanted to pay you, then I have to have enough on my side of the channel in order to facilitate that payment. Otherwise, I'm not going to be able to, right? Like, if someone want, if you wanted to pay more than 0.05, right, then you wouldn't be able to just by using this one channel. Um, likewise, if I only have, like, 0.001 on my side and someone wants to pay you 0.002, uh, then I'm not going to be able to facilitate that either. So you need both inbound and outbound, uh, kind of liquidity or, or Bitcoin that's pointing at you and Bitcoin that you are pointing outwards. Um, and in the future, this is all just going to be handled for you. I think some wallets even today, like I think Phoenix does a lot of this just for you. You don't have to worry about kind of all of this rebalancing and, and stuff like that. Uh, though it is pretty early days for the Lightning Network. So uh, there's still plenty of wallets out there uh, and and like desktop apps and such that you would have to do a lot of this management somewhat manually. And that is a big barrier to entry for a lot of people if they're using those, those kinds of wallets. Uh, but rest assured that uh, not only are there already these things, but in the future, you know, all of this stuff is going to be hidden. You're just going to, you know, have, have a wallet, uh, you know, on your phone or something where you can pay people and people can pay you and it'll just manage you know, who has how much in your channels and and things like this. Okay, so the next thing that I'm thinking about with this, Nadav, is that when I open a channel, um, I am uh, essentially committing Bitcoin to the blockchain, so I'm paying a transaction fee for that. And 
when we close a uh, when we close a channel, the same happens. Now, sometimes the, the network can be quite congested, uh, so I could be paying a fairly high fee. Let's just pick a moderately high fee, say $20, $20 uh, to open a channel. So really, I kind of don't want to be opening a channel with $50 of liquidity because I could be paying a high fee. So it feels like I need to be opening one with a certain amount of liquidity. But could, could you also be a bit of a dick and force close a channel and I suddenly have to pay a fee? Yes. So um, that that's certainly like the right kind of concern to have. I will say some of this stuff is made better, especially for channel opening, by uh, soon there will be services if there aren't already. I know that at least some of this stuff has been done in the wild, though it might have been more of a proof of concept. But you can essentially open a channel uh, along with a bunch of other people opening a channel all in this one big transaction where everyone essentially saves on fees by doing this. And it's better for privacy. It's kind of like a coin join mixed into opening a lightning channel. Like no one knows which one's yours uh, kind of thing. Um, So that that helps a little bit. But at at the end of the day, yes, opening and closing channels requires on-chain interaction, at least today. In the future, there's super futuristic, awesome tech like channel factories and other stuff that hopefully will help mitigate this even further where you can open, or, you know, there's other things like, as Shinobi mentioned, you could, in theory, have lightning channels on Liquid uh, that, you know, you open and close them on Liquid and then you're still able to interact with people who have channels open on Bitcoin itself and and things like this. So I think there are, uh, you know, as time goes on, when this becomes a bigger problem, we're going to have better solutions for it. Um, but yeah, I, I think one of the key things is you're going to want to lock up, n- not, you're not going to want to open very small channels. You're going to want to have a few, uh, you know, not a ton of channels, but you're going to want some relatively larger, more reliable channels with people who aren't just going to force close on you. Uh, so that's another piece is that as the Lightning Network matures, nodes are going to be more conscientious about who they open channels with. And, you know, if someone consistently is just force closing on them, you're not going to open a channel with them. Uh, and Also splicing, too, is another potential here, where instead of closing out a channel, your party could just kind of take their money out of it, but then open it up right again um, with your money still in the channel if they needed to do something else. Yeah, so essentially... Uh, one reason someone might want to close a channel on you is because, you know, they need these funds. Um, And so, you know, if it's not like a griefing attack where they're doing it just to mess with you, then there are some alternatives for them so that they won't have to close your channel and make things inconvenient for you. Um, What they can do instead, uh, two things. One, Shinobi just mentioned, is called uh, splicing, which is where you can essentially, via an on-chain transaction, presumably that they would pay for at least some of, um, you can essentially take your on-chain shared custody and spend it into a new on-chain shared custody spot. So, you know, your two of two into a new two of two, but where it has less in it and they took some of their balance and just had an on-chain output. So that's one way of just like withdrawing without closing your channel. Uh, Another way is to use uh, something called a submarine swap Uh, These days, I think it's usually called Loop Out instead because Lightning Labs has a project called Loop. Uh, And essentially what this lets you do is you pay someone on Lightning and they pay you on-chain. 
and you use that same atomic swap I talked about that you used for routing, you use that with the on-chain Bitcoin payment to make it atomic as well. So essentially, it's a way of doing a, a, a swap of on-chain for off-chain coins. So you go to like Lightning Labs or someone who's running one of these services, you pay them on Lightning and you withdraw on-chain. So there really isn't a need to close your channel if you just like need to withdraw your funds. There are alternatives. But Peter, I think you are still right in worrying about like, what if, you know, Shinobi and I have a channel open and he's mad at me and he just wants to like be a dick and close his channel on me. Jerk. <laughs> um, that, that is something to, to think about. Well, it just sounds like to me we're very early and all these kind of scenarios are still being figured out. Um, do you imagine we will get to a scenario whereby some people will only ever hold Bitcoin, which is on the Lightning Network? They won't know the difference. It'll be on their phone. Um, I'm trying to imagine that scenario, but but for that scenario to happen, there has to be Bitcoin locked up on the main chain. So who is that locked up by where and how how do they not steal that Bitcoin? But that's like something in my mind. Yeah, so... I, I think that it's totally feasible and I think it's already happening to a small degree, especially with, with things like Strike, which let you yep. essentially debit from your bank account and then get funds directly over Lightning. Um, and uh, as I mentioned, right, we will have dual funded channels, but you can still have channels that are just singly funded, right? Um, where, uh, you know, your counterparty put in all of the initial on-chain funds and say like, you know, you paid them from your bank account or something like this, right? You can you can have those kinds of schemes where you end up with funds on Lightning, uh, which means you have like private keys. You're part. You're one of the two uh, signers on that shared custody two of two multisig, but you didn't fund any of that Bitcoin that went into that shared custody, right? Like they took your U.S. dollars or your pounds or something like this. So I, I think it's totally feasible and um, definitely part of the vision for a lot of people working on the Lightning Network, working on Lightning Network wallets and things like this, that uh, in the future, you won't even have to go through on-chain Bitcoin in order to get onboarded and just instantly start like using uh, Lightning-enabled applications and things like this. So, Peter, I think this it, is a perfect transition into the things users have to care about and understand. Um, All right, do it. So one of the things we didn't get into um, so far is the mechanism that really makes this kind of updating the transactions um, something you can do securely. And so pretty much every time you do that, what, what you're doing is you're exchanging a, a key or you're kind of passing that off to the other party um, that goes to like a little if clause in the Bitcoin. That is another way to spend the outputs that this pre-signed transaction creates. And so that that key pretty much, if they take the, the transaction that you, you do this exchange for and they try to submit it to the blockchain in the future, this extra key lets you just take all of their Bitcoin. Because like pretty much what they're doing is they're taking an old balance that you guys have since changed. So this is not where the money should be going. And they're submitting it to try to steal from you. 
And so that's kind of enforced with this, this extra clause in those outputs and this key that you exchange that if somebody does that, um, you know, the other guy can just take all of your money. Like, bad, you tried to steal from me. This is your punishment for it. And so there are some things that users just have to be aware of if they're going to use the Lightning Network. Um, the first one is if you lose any of those keys for old transactions that you guys have revoked, or if you lose the most recent pre-signed transaction that hasn't been revoked yet, you're in big trouble because that means, one, um, you don't have the ability now to just take your money out by yourself. You need that person's cooperation because all you have are these old ones that if he sees on chain, he's just going to steal all your money. And on the other token, um, if you lose some of those keys for the revoked transactions to punish them, um, if they ever found out about that um, or became aware of that, they have a bunch of these old transactions where they might have more money than they should, and they could get away with submitting that um, if they got that confirmed before you confirm the most recent one. And you don't have that key that lets you kind of take the money to make things right. And so, like, you have to be very aware of that. Like, losing that information puts you in a very bad situation where your money's at risk. And right. also, it, this is kind of enforced on the other side by time locks. So, you have to come online within that time lock and, and check things every once in a while to make sure that your counterparty didn't do something like take an old um, transaction and try to steal money from you. Or um, you have to have somebody doing that for you. Um, like there's plans for something called a watchtower, which is something you would talk to when you transact. And it would have all of the things necessary to punish somebody if they try to steal from you and just always be online looking for that. But like these are things you have to understand if you're using lightning or you're, you're not really aware of the risks you're taking. Yeah, I think maybe a succinct way of thinking about like what what are the you know say new security considerations is let's picture kind of this scenario where someone is trying to say double spend you so we have our current state right which is just this fully valid fully signed bitcoin transaction that spends our two of two our shared custody coins uh to you and me um but that we just don't broadcast right so we have that and now say, uh, me and Shinobi have a channel open. I pay Shinobi like a, a, a large amount. Uh, and then say after I pay him a large amount, I attempt to broadcast that old state where I, ha where I hadn't yet paid him. So this would be like me trying to double spend, right? I've spent it on the Lightning Network and now I'm trying to reclaim it on chain. So what, what stops me from, from doing that? So... Uh, the key, the key thing, uh, no pun intended, is that um, when I made that payment to Shinobi, how I do it is we create a new state, right, a new transaction that spends that same two of two shared custody uh, that now instead of sending, say, let's put numbers to it, say 
we each start with one Bitcoin in the channel. So I get one, he gets one in the first state. And then in this new state, I get like 0.5 and he gets 1.5. So say I pay him like half a Bitcoin over the Lightning Network. And then um, what happens then is we create this new transaction uh, where I get 0.5, he gets 1.5. Then we fully sign it. But this isn't considered the new state until we do one more thing, which is revoke the old transaction. Now, the question is, how do you revoke a Bitcoin transaction, right? There's kind of this uh, key <laughs> thing where um, once a Bitcoin transaction, or, you know, once once something is valid, it's never going to become invalid. You can't just, like, literally make it so that, um, like, the signatures are no longer valid or something like this. There's no way of doing that. So instead, what we do is we actually, rather than just saying, like, I get one Bitcoin, he gets one Bitcoin, we make it conditional. We say, I get one Bitcoin, uh, but I can only claim it after this, like, waiting period. And that's, like, the waiting period that he has to, like, go to court, right, to contest. Like, if I publish an old state, he has that amount of time in order to go on the blockchain and be like, no, this is an old state. So there's another spending branch. Uh, so I have I it, the coins that are on my side of the channel, I can only spend after a time lock, but Shinobi can spend them without a time lock if he knows the secret called the revocation secret. So when I revoke an old state, what that means is I just give him that secret. I essentially give him the ability to take all of my coins if I publish an old state. And that's how we update our lightning channels. We just constantly are giving each other the ability to punish, uh, or we're giving the other person the ability to punish us if we do something that we're not supposed to, right? If we violate the rules of this lightning channel. But what that means is you have to keep all of these secrets, right? You have to keep the ability to punish your counterparty. And you have to be online at least once every contest period, in order to uh, make sure that they haven't cheated you. So, for example, on LND uh, or LND-backed wallets, uh, I believe the default these days is two weeks. So you have to have your nodes synced. You have to look at the, the blockchain and make sure that your UTXO still hasn't been spent at least once every two weeks. Or, as Shinobi mentioned, have a watchtower doing that for you, but then you're, you're trusting them or, you know, you could have a bunch of watchtowers and you're trusting that at least one of them <laughs> Uh, is is online and playing nice. Um, and uh, yeah, the, the second thing is you also have to keep the current state because if you don't have that, then you no longer have the ability to close the channel and claim your funds. So um, it's there. those are the new things that you do need to be aware of is that you have to be online at least once every contest period where that is, I mean, there's a default. I think on some wallets, it is even as small as every day. Um, but those are like wallets that you would have to run on your laptop and set up and know what you're doing kind of thing. I think the, the default these days for, uh, you know, nodes people, uh, more, more, you know, normal non-engineer people use, uh, tend to have a default closer to like once every two weeks. Uh, and if you do know what you're doing, you can change this to be more. Uh, the trade-off though is the longer you have, the less you have to be online, you know, less constraint. But mm -hmm. if you do close your channel non-cooperatively, then you have to wait longer before you actually get those funds back. So that's kind of just a built-in trade-off. It's it's kind of like multi-sig. You know, it's it's just like it's it's more complicated 
than just one key on chain. So you just have to think about this other data. And I think that's kind of universal to any new way of interacting with Bitcoin. But Peter, I will note, I think while these are important, especially moving forward, if you have larger amounts, a lot of people using Lightning today, you know, you just have like 10 bucks on your phone or something. And like, worst mm. case, you know, you lose 10 bucks. <laughs> like, I, I don't think, I, I think for, for small amounts, uh, it's entirely reasonable to be a bit more laissez-faire about, about these things. And I think that there are a lot of use cases for Lightning and like gaming and things like this where you really don't need much more than that. Yeah, I'm still very much like, oh, I don't want to know all this. I, I know it pisses people off. I just yeah, don't. we're working on hiding and, and it's it not that, We're doing our best. Yeah, well, that's what I'm saying. I'm, I'm, it's not to be disrespectful at all, in any way at all, but I'm just trying, to, just trying to think, generally speaking, I'm looking forward to this all being abstracted away. And I know a lot of it is, and there's an amazing work being done. But and, and Shinobi, I know you're saying I should know this stuff, but like the Bitcoin base chain is really easy for me to understand, right? I know I can self-custody it. I know I can run my own node. I know how a multi-sig kind of works. Um, um, and if I just want to transfer transfer value, I just send it to another address and it's gone. It's either in my wallet or in their wallet. There's a lot of intricacies. And, and I know people don't need to know this, but when you talk about, oh, if you know a secret, blah, 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 and you have to keep the secret, I think a lot of that just, it just needs to be abstracted away. I still think I will use the Lightning Network and just kind of hope it works and not care about these things in the background. Well, I mean, it's, but, but there's still the, the key things you need and you need to understand. Like, you know, to use Bitcoin on chain, you, you need to understand your keys, your mnemonic seed, how to keep that safe. And, you know, you need to understand the consequences of what a UTXO are. So if you're going to use Lightning, like you need to at least understand the basic concept of these channel updates and these things that you can't lose without yeah, no, I, putting I, I your money at risk. I do think, though, that a lot of this, like, you know, if you're thinking about, for example, on-chain, a lot of it just reduces to, like, keeping your seed safe, right? Like, if you have the backup, you're going to be okay. Um, and I think uh, one of the things in, in Lightning that's going to make this a lot more user-friendly, that is... Uh, uh, th there are a lot of different ways of doing this being tested. A lot of them already are out there, but um, up, uh, backup mechanisms for lightning channels, right? If we can reduce this to like, so long as uh, you have access to your lightning channel backup, then you don't need to worry is, is kind of the, the goal for, for where we want to go with, the, with a lot of this stuff as well. So I think that'll make it uh, much easier to use as well. Um, at least for the things you have to know become simpler if you have a way of like generating all the things you need to know from just one thing. Mm -hmm. You know, actually, I think this is a good place to maybe just get into like the concept of a lightning service provider and just kind of how that's functioning today to abstract things. Mm, I hope that's what I think it might be. Um, because I tell you what, again, another controversial thing right now, because I keep so little Bitcoin in Lightning. Well, actually, I've got a counterpoint to that. I did used to keep so little Bitcoin uh, in Lightning, had like 400 bucks in. But obviously, since then, we've had a massive price run up. So that Bitcoin's worth a, a lot more. But generally speaking, I was quite happy with the custodial Lightning solution because I had so little Bitcoin in there. And I know that's not the. Uh, not what people want to hear, but I was happy to risk that amount in a custodial service. Ironically, now I'm not because the price has gone up 12x. 
Well, I would say custodial lightning services would definitely qualify as LSPs, but um, I'd, I'd say it's a little more expansive than just that. Um, like, I think the best non-custodial example would probably be Breeze. Um, you know, it's it's a very simple wallet. I think they've even recently integrated um, the Sphinx Chat or Podcasting 2.0 um, streaming um, payments for that. But, like, the, the way they structure that is, in addition to just being a wallet, like, they're actually a service provider beyond that. Um, like they will actually open a channel to you um, with liquidity so that you can actually receive money easily over the lightning network. Like all, all of the issues Nadav brought up um, with like him having to have enough on his side of the channel for you to be able to receive those payments. Like they kind of step in and they will front load a channel with money on their end so that the user can just open the wallet, click and they're receiving money. And they, they also function, um, and this is something I would say users should think about and be aware of, um, they will watch the blockchain for you as well um, to kind of scan and check and react to that. But given that they open the channel to you and they're literally the person that you, you know, the other side of that channel, the other part of that key, you know, they're, they're watching in case of a screw up or like a malicious employee, but like that doesn't really add anything. If you assume breeze themselves will just start acting maliciously. So, you know, that's something that, that a user should be aware of and consider when they're using that. But like these, um, these kind of opportunities to offer like the little services there, to smooth over the the user experience problems like that that's becoming a, a thing now um that's how a lot of these wallets have been able to capture like a non-technical user base and actually get them using lightning and i think that's that's really for at least the next couple of years i think going to be the way that issues kind of get papered over and managed um and like a, another thing um they'll do is um i believe Breeze and a lot of other wallets, um, they will handle kind of encrypting um, all the the channel backup stuff you need um, to a a key from your seed mnemonic and then push it encrypted to like a a cloud storage, like, um, you know, Apple or Google Drive. Um, And it's just all these little ways to kind of automate and hide that from the user. And so I think it's really important if you're going to run out and like start using lightning um with like these apps and wallets like this like you you should just kind of be aware of and consider the fact that there's a little more trust sometimes getting interjected into that that wouldn't exist with just like an on-chain wallet you get from google play you know what i mean okay yeah i think i think lightning and with lightning service providers you get kind of this really you you get to like there's, you know, the trade-off between, at least these days, hopefully a lot of this goes away in the future, but this trade-off between, you know, how much you're trusting someone else and how easy it is for you to use this complex new technology. But I think the mm-hmm. the cool thing is it's this, like, very wide spectrum, and you can, like, go all in and, like, don't trust anybody, 
you know, always have a node online somewhere or multiple nodes, you know, you do, do whatever you want and, and, you know, take care of this all yourself. But, you know, you're going to have to have some, uh, maybe a little bit more technical expertise or you can go like, you know, custodial, you don't have to worry about anything. But then there's also kind of all of this room in between that we can start, mm-hmm. uh, you know, filling in uh, using Lightning Service Providers where like, you only have to worry about like these things and everything else you're trusting other people for. So it's like not custodial, uh, but so it's like better than something that's custodial, uh, but there's still some trust involved. Uh, not as much as like a custodial wallet, but I think there's like this nice kind of spectrum of like uh, how much you're trusting versus how much you need to do. Um, and, and there's probably some nice middle point for, for everyone. Though I think everyone should start just with like a little bit on a custodial wallet. I think it's just a great way to get started. Um, and then later on, you know, if it's something that you're going to use regularly uh, or have a decent amount of funds in, then you're going to want to figure out somewhere closer to the middle. Okay, right. There's lots to think about here. I think I'm going to call time on this one because we've done a lot. There's a lot to contemplate here. Um, I think in summary for myself is I have no use for liquid right now, but I'm going to keep an eye on it. I can see scenarios where I I would maybe consider using it, but right now I won't. Absolutely no chance in hell I'm going to wrap any of my Bitcoin and risk that shit. And I Peter, think you're not little... you're not planning on minting what Bitcoin did coin. <laughs> Bitcoin. Well, maybe I'll do Bitcoin at some point. Um, <laughs> But but I definitely I need to spend a bit more time looking at lightning, a uh, bit more time understanding lightning. And but I think I'm going to spend some time playing with some wallets that I like and that kind of work without me having to think about it. I think I'm going to take a look at Breeze, have a bit of a play with that. But no, this is very useful. I appreciate both of you. Um, I am interested to see what the feedback from this will be, whether we've gone too techy or not tech enough. But I'll let you both know. Um, cool. Do we want to really things. briefly mention like wanna, some wallets for people? If yeah, they're listen, interested listen, in list some favorite wallets. Yeah, so uh, I think Blue Wallet is most people's custodial wallet of choice. I so this that, is like yeah. you don't want to worry about anything, just use Blue Wallet. Um, and and they have Lightning wallets are are their custodial solution. Breeze is another great uh, one that's kind of you know somewhere closer to the middle. It's technically you know non custodial, but you are. Uh, using Breeze and maybe trusting them a little bit. Um, I think Wallet of Satoshi is another, I want to say, custodial wallet. Uh, And then for non-custodial wallets, you have um, Phoenix, which uh, tries to hide a decent amount from you in terms of like, you don't have to do everything, but, you know, it's doing it for you, the app, and it's with your keys on your phone. Uh, It's non-custodial, sorry. Uh, and then there's Zeus is another non-custodial option. Um, yeah, uh, there I mean, there are others out them. there, but um, yeah, yeah. And I think uh, Zap from Jack folks Mollers like too. Uh, it's another nice yeah. custodial, non-custodial one. Yeah, yeah. But anyway, I just wanted to mention those in case like people listen to this and want to play around. No, and that's useful. We'll stick it in the show notes. I think I'm going to go and have a play with him, though. I mean, I know Blue Wallet. I know Nuno. I've got, I've got Blue Wallet. Um, I think he's done some great work working on the UX of that uh, recently, which is uh, very cool. Uh, I, I think I've downloaded Breeze, but never played with it. So I think I'm going to go and have a play with two or three of those, see how I get on. 
Nadav, I do want to say thank you for coming on. That's uh, your first appearance. I know we got something else planned in the future, so we're gonna we're gonna. You best be having uh, him on shortly so, to talk about DLCs. <laughs> uh, we don't, and I don't know. Like I've got to think what what's useful to the people who listen to my show. Uh, I think that's a cool topic, but I think that's probably more aligned with something like Marty or uh, Stefan Levera. I think. I know my audience, and I think some of Nadal's more detailed explanations on what's wrong with other blockchains or the risks they're making so they can consider their investment is the kind of show I, I want to make with him um, because I know I've probably got the less hardcore Bitcoin and some of those people who, who might be considering putting money into other uh, investments slash trades. I think we're going to touch on that. It's okay, Nadal. I'll, I'll dump a bucket of water on his head in Miami. <laughs> we will do DLCs at one point. We will do it. We'll cover it at some point. Um, all right. Well, listen, Shinobi, I will see you in Miami uh, secretly. I'll be there too. Oh, we'll see you both there. I'm going to organize a party so you should both come. Oh, yeah, I saw. And, uh, Sold. And uh, yeah, that should be fun. Uh, uh, Shinobi was a secret guest at the last one, but nobody knew who he was. They knew, they knew the, the guy with the beard, though. If you asked anybody, they they remembered him. That photo came up. Did I send it to you? That photo came up on my phone recently. I don't think you did. I I just still chuckle over the fact that half of Bitcoin Twitter thought that I would somehow sneakily get selfied without my permission. <laughs> you gave me permission. I, yeah, I got and, permission. And then everybody and immediately happens- screamed at you like, Shinobi wouldn't have given you permission. <laughs> I fucking did. He's smiling at it. But I've never... I, did I? I didn't put it on Twitter or anything, did I? No, you, you did. I, I told you to, and then everyone started yelling at you. Oh, that was it. That was <laughs> it. Yeah, yeah, that was it. Yeah, fuck Pete. Pete's done something wrong again. All right, well, listen, look, I loved this. Appreciate it. Uh, appreciate you, Nadav. It's good to get to know you now, and uh, yeah, it'll be good to get you back on the show. Uh, Shinobi, we will circle back and figure out what we're going to do next month. And uh, yeah, thanks, guys. My head's a bit scrambled right now, but I'm going to go away and think about this. <laughs> yeah, it's been fun. Alrighty, what did, do you think of that one? Did you follow it all? I know, I didn't. Definitely had some moments where I was like, what the fuck are you two on about? <laughs> Sorry, I you know I like to try and get these things explained in easy to understand ways, and we kind of got there. I mean, look, I know, based on what we discussed, I ain't ever wrapping any of my Bitcoin. That shit's not going to happen. I could, and I possibly could see scenarios where I would use liquid. I definitely use one. I'm using a Lightning Network now, so I'm not worried about that. So even though this was a fairly basic explanation on a lot of stuff if you did get confused you do have questions you can reach out to me you can reach out to shinobi as well i mean he might not reply if he gets too many but you never know he might get back to you Uh, i also want to say a big thanks to nadav for coming on i've really enjoyed listening to him on clubhouse i'm going to get him back on again himself at some point i think everyone needs to be aware of this guy and how big his brain is and his amazing contributions to bitcoin if you want to reach out to me, you want to hit me up, you can jump in my Telegram channel or just email me. It's hello at whatbitcoindid.com. Big thanks to everyone who supports the show. Can you just go up on Apple Podcasts? Go and leave me a review. Go and go on, come. Just go and do it. You love the show, right? Go and leave me a five-star review. I would love you for that. Outside of that, as I said, I'm getting very excited about Miami. It's going to be an amazing event. I'm emceeing Bitcoin 2021, but I'm also organizing a party. It's going to be on the Thursday. It's going to be free. You can all come along. I'm going to buy you all a beer. I'm going to buy you all a whiskey. I'm going to stick some money behind the bar. Maybe get some money from my sponsors as well. I've got about $15,000 at the moment, which is kind of cool. I don't know how long that lasts in Miami. 
might be about an hour for about 10 people who knows who knows but very much looking forward to miami anyway have a lovely weekend go kill it go crush whatever you're doing i love you all and i'll see you all next week 